do all things without murmurings and disputes, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you are seen as lights in the world, holding up the word of life. That I may have something to boast in the day of Christ, that I didn't run in vain nor labor in vain. Yes, and if I am poured out on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice, and rejoice you all. In the same way, you also rejoice and rejoice with me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Welcome back. I'm Brian, and we're up to episode 23 in our concurrent study of the books of Ecclesiastes and Philippians. This study is about identity and about where we find our joy. Today we're covering Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. It's a shorter passage, so we might be looking at a continuing our shorter episode trend lately. So these verses talk about community, about living together in a way that stands out that makes people go, something is different about you, and I want to know what. It's being in the culture, but not being of the culture. And remember the context here. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, who is not in a Christian-friendly zone, or even a Christian-friendly city. They would have been surrounded by Roman culture and pagan rituals, and they were being called to unite around Jesus, but not isolate the message of Jesus from their surroundings. This passage is also about contentment, about joy in God, and about rejoicing for and rejoicing with the people that are mentoring you as well as the people that you are mentoring. And having that joy and contentment no matter what your circumstances are, Paul declares he will rejoice even if he is poured out like a sacrifice for their faith. I pray that we can be encouraged today, That through this passage, we can be encouraged toward contentment and a joy in Christ that produces an abundance of light shining into the world around us. That we could be obedient to God's work, striving for peace and unity, and allowing the completed work of Christ to saturate every area of our lives. Do all things without murmurings and disputes. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. So here we go. We're off to the races here. Shots fired at more than a few of us. Do all things without murmurings and disputes. The ESV says grumbling or disputing. The NLT says complaining and arguing. Does this sound like any of us? So Adiemo notes that they, the followers of Jesus listening to this letter from Paul, They should be peaceable people with a positive attitude and the patience to overcome evil with good. So a call to Christians to be a peaceable people with a positive attitude and who have patience in the midst of troubling situations. Yeah, I think this message is very applicable to us today. We don't have to agree about everything, especially those things that are of second or third or two hundredth importance. But we should strive, where at all possible, to be peaceable people who interact with the world around us through patience. And we should be filled with the contentment that's required for us to be patient, and for us to not complain, argue, grumble, throw a temper tantrum, post a rage post out on social media, whatever it is that could make someone go, huh. 
that's an interesting way for a Christ follower to respond to a situation. If that's the way that Jesus is going to do it, and that's what Jesus is all about, then I'm not sure I want any of what they're selling. Like, that's what we're called to avoid. We're called to avoid reacting in ways that don't display Christ to the world, and that shut people off from wanting to be part of our communities. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. It's the same Greek word which can mean deliberating, arguing, or questioning what is true. Oh, and by the way, the complaining, grumbling, arguing, questioning the reality of things part, that also includes how we interact with God as well. Do all things without murmurings and disputes. All the things that are being referred to here. Yeah, they include our horizontal relationships with other people, but they also include our vertical relationships with God and how we interact with God. If we are to follow the humble example of Christ who died on the cross for us, then we need to portray humility, patience, and peace to the world. You may become blameless and harmless children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you are seen as lights in the world, holding up the word of life. Philippians chapter 2 verses 15 and the beginning of verse 16. So avoid murmurings and disputes. But we don't strive for that just because it makes us look cool or something. We do that so that we can be seen as different from the world in a life-giving sort of way in a way that beacons people to follow the path that we're walking, the path that was set forth by Jesus for us. Ryrie terms this as reflecting a light that comes from a heavenly source. Proverbs 4.18 says, But the path of the righteous is like the dawning light that shines more and more until the perfect day. And Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16 declares that, You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do you light a lamp and put it under a measuring basket, but on a stand. And it shines to all who are in the house. Even so, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we are meant to orient ourselves from the darkness of this world toward the light of the world, toward Jesus. And then we're called to reflect that light in order to illuminate the darkness that's around us, to bring others from darkness to light. Verse 16 in Philippians chapter 2 then provides some context for what we shine by and reflect back. It says, holding up the word of life. So Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So as we follow the path that's illuminated before us by the word of God, we also glow as illuminated lamps along the way. This path that we both run and beckon others toward, that'll play directly into the end of verse 16 here in just a minute. That I may have something to boast in the day of Christ, that I didn't run in vain nor labor in vain. Philippians chapter 2, the end of verse 16. So Paul comes back to this idea a few times throughout most of his letters. 
that in the end he doesn't want to boast in his works or in his accomplishments. He wants to be able to boast about what he has done for Christ. Paul wants to say, I ran a good race. I shared your word with others, Lord. I discipled others. I brought people alongside me to labor with me for the advance of the gospel. I tried to be a light to the world. And I just want you, Lord, to look at how you are being glorified through those people that you placed in my path. See, Paul knows that his name and his accomplishments, they don't matter. But that God's name will be glorified for eternity. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. Paul is excited not just for his salvation, but for their salvation and their works. He's excited about having labored for the coming harvest. C.T. Studd, who I've done a standalone episode on, gave gave up a professional cricket career in England in order to be a missionary to China and then to Africa up until he died. He closes a poem that he wrote with a very iconic quote, and I think it is appropriate for us to close out this section with, Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Yes, and if I am poured out on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and rejoice with you all. In the same way, you also rejoice and rejoice with me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. So have you ever reached a milestone in your spiritual walk? Ever reached sort of this like faith goal and you really just wanted to share it with your mentor? Maybe you defeated something that you'd been struggling with. Maybe you were finally able to feel confident doing something. Maybe you stepped up just did something, some milestone, you just really wanted to call your mentor and share that excitement with them. Or maybe you've discipled somebody else for a period of time, and one day you were able to just take a step back and go, dude, I am so excited for how God is working in and through you. You know this awesome victory moment that you want to celebrate. This is what Paul is talking about. And note, it's not celebrating how awesome the mentor is or how awesome the disciple is. It's just a joyous celebration that is fueled by worship of God and how awesome he is. Then Paul takes it even further when he pens that if he is poured out or sacrificed for their faith, he will also rejoice. I could get really nerdy on you and talk about Paul's use of Jewish sacrificial language, describing himself as a drink offering and the Philippians as a burnt offering, but that's too in the weeds for the basic message that I want to cover. Paul is referring to that if he were to die in service for the gospel, he would still rejoice and hope that they rejoice too. It goes back to the theme of service and sacrifice and the one of joy and contentment. We should find joy when we sacrifice for Christ, when we or somebody else lives as a light in the midst of a dark world. There should be joy. We should seek to rejoice in loving God and loving our neighbor, no matter the worldly consequences that come up. Because as Christians, we can be confident that our reward is in heaven. So thanks for listening. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. Until next time, I love y'all.